definitely tell Casey was up here last. Wow. If you have your Bibles, find Isaiah 53. I want to share a couple of quick stories with you guys that I, I, I pray will sort of open up your thinking here. You know, um, growing up a uh, farm kid, you know, you're faced with all kinds of things you're not really interested in doing, but nonetheless, you have to do them. And one of those things that used to kind of drive me nuts was getting up hay. And we never had the big round hay where the, you know, the tractor would just stick the fork in and take away, you know, it was the baled hay. And on top of that, I worked on and off for a lot of other people, in particular um, people who owned horses who, you got to get up a lot of hay. And I've pulled up on fields of hay and you see every bale out there and you know you're in the minimum you're going to put your hand on every bale twice. You're going to have to load it up and you're going to have to unload it. And sometimes you might put it on there three times or four times and and um, I can't tell you how many times I looked at that and I was just like, I don't want to do this, but there's nothing to say, there's nothing to understand. This is literally all just bulwark and it's just got to be done. When we, when we look at this passage today, one of the reasons Jesus is silent, one of the reasons the Messiah is silent is because all the talking is done. The revelation of who he is is done. It's now just time for the ugly work of dying. And um, there's nothing left to say. Second little story I want to share with you, is, it's a true story. It's going to sound a bit insane. Um, you know, I saw it with my own two eyes. I was somewhere overseas, and um, there was three languages, a huge argument, and almost every single person involved was carrying an automatic weapon. Um, that right there is a recipe, right? High-tension emotions, three different languages, um, weapons, right? And uh, what we felt like was happening was that the one guy was, was, trying to, was trying to delay the process as a big setup. And we felt like any moment some kind of you know, trap was going to be sprung on us and we just didn't understand what was going on and then we weren't sure if our interpreter was being honest and all of a sudden one of the guys, you know, no, no, no announcements, one of the guys just takes his thumb and takes his weapon off safety. And, uh, and I guess there was just a look in that guy's eyes. One of his friends stepped in front of him, in front of him and his weapon. And he's just like, hold on. Just hold on. Hold on right here. And uh, eventually it all worked out. And, you know, later on, just with the English-speaking Americans there, you know, the one guy says to the other guy, says, I think you were getting ready to shoot that guy. And the guy says, I absolutely was getting ready to shoot him. And he says, I felt like something was being perpetrated against us. And, and I was getting, I, I just thought this needed to come to a head and this guy needed to, to let us through. And, and, you know, I felt like we were being set up. And he says, and, and, you know, only thing to stop me was you stepping in between me and the guy. Turns out it was all language. It was 100% language. It was a language gap. And all the tension was because we weren't understanding and nothing bad was actually happening, but something bad almost happened. You're going to see that people also fall silent in front of the injustice done to Jesus the man. But I don't want you, I tell this story because I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss Jesus the man needed to be stricken so that Christ, the Messiah, 
could accomplish salvation. Earthly justice, a delay, earthly justice saying, you're not doing this guy right. That would have delayed divine salvation. And I want us to see not, you know, not just that man was doing this, man was doing that. What was God doing in this big story? What was God doing? So if you have your Bibles or you can follow along on screen, three quick verses from Isaiah 53, beginning at verse number seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its sharers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with a wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Fathers, we look at this passage. We humbly ask you to look into us. Lord, how have we esteemed Jesus? Have we considered what his death was about? Have we considered the implications? Have we considered it for ourselves? Have we considered Have we considered him as the Christ? Have we considered him as our Christ? Help us to see through the words and to their meaning. Speak into our lives as only you can, Holy Spirit. In Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Very quickly, let's recap where we started. Isaiah 52, beginning at verse uh, uh, 13. Let's just recap. You know, God has sent this suffering servant into the world, right? Sent this suffering servant. And this servant, uh, Isaiah was, was given a prophecy from heaven that was looking not only well beyond Isaiah's time, but past the servant's time. He's not just looking at when the servant would come. This passage is looking past when the servant had come. And he's going to look back and say the servant did act wisely. He's going to look back and say uh, the, many people were astonished at the servant. And eventually the servant's work is going to lead to even kings being quiet. We've already seen that, that, that even though he come and he's, you know, already come he's already done his thing who has believed that this is God's way of salvation who's who's looked at Jesus and said he's somebody they did just the opposite they said he's a nobody from a no place he didn't look like much he didn't come from much he didn't amount to much as a matter of fact we think God is against him because of what God has allowed to happen to him so they not only did not esteem him but they despised and rejected him Isaiah's prophecy is 750 years before Jesus is born, but it's looking well past Jesus dying and resurrecting. And then last week, we saw that there will be those who look back and say, ah, but now we get it. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. And how many of you guys remember from last week that image of the, uh, I was stabbing Andrew. It was my, you know, I was, I did high-low buffalo this week. That was my high, stabbing Andrew. I said, man, I got to stab Andrew at church. It was awesome. But when he stabbed, when they stabbed Jesus, it's the image of a fountain being opened and pouring out, pouring out blessing on the nations. And, and we see that there are gonna be, there's going to be a great revival amongst 
the Jews one day, and, and they're going to look back, and some of them are going to say, we had him all wrong, but now we get it. And there will also be some who will say, we still don't think he's the one. And they'll die in their trespasses and sins and be judged. And we still stand in the same position. We're continuing that thought today. They're realizing that he was oppressed and he was oppressed as a substitute. And in and, and this oppression, he submitted himself to the Father's will. And why was he silent? He was silent because the ghastly work of dying for sin simply had to be done. The ghastly work for dying for sin had to be done. And this is, this is way more, way more than looking at a field full of hay and saying, well, no need to talk now. Got to just do it. This is for the salvation of the world. So three quick thoughts, and Mary Lou is ahead of me. We'll fix her. If uh, somebody back there could kick her stool out from under her, that would be helpful. She's a little ahead of me. Three quick thoughts uh, with some big implications. Number one, you see it here. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God. Now, I want you guys to know, I want to put that at every point. Why? Jesus of Nazareth, fully man, the Christ of God, fully God. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, submissively endured God's will. He submissively endured God's will. Look back at verse number seven. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Three times in, in, in two different ways, they say he didn't say anything. He was silent. He opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Or, or maybe this graphic will help you. Let's just pull up some, some little bitty vignettes from the time of his trial. In Matthew 26, 63, it says Jesus remained silent. In Matthew 27, 12, Jesus remained silent. In Mark 14, 61, he remained silent and made no answer. In Mark 15, 5, Jesus made no further answer. In Luke 23, 9, he made no answer. In John 19, 9, Jesus gave him no answer. All of this was absolutely fulfilling the role of the Messiah. Now, somebody is wisely thinking, wait a minute, didn't he have a little conversation with Pilate? He did. He did have a little conversation with Pilate. When he stood before Pilate, he stood before, and a little bit, a smaller conversation even with Caiaphas. He stood before them. If, if you notice it, go back and look. Go back and study. He, he never spoke to defend himself. He never spoke to defend himself. In, in, in the case of Caiaphas, Caiaphas had already made up his mind. Maybe Pilate hadn't. Caiaphas had. It was a setup from the get up. Pilate was confused about his identity. So in Caiaphas' case, in Caiaphas's case, he's just saying, I want you to remember you're wrong. That's basically what I want you to remember you're wrong. And what they do, they smacked him and said, how dare you talk to the high priest like that? At that point, it's no need to talk. And that's the whole point. It's, I mean, it, the work just has to be done now. He's going to the cross. In Pilate's case, Pilate was like, you know, hey, what's up? And he's like, truth is what's up. He's how do you know truth, right? In Pilate's case, I, I truly believe this. If you study the passages, I think he was just pushing Pilate toward the ultimate decision. That was very difficult for Pilate to, to make because Pilate says, I don't see that you've done anything. But it wasn't just about Pilate having wisdom or revelation and pushing Jesus to the cross. It was, I'm getting a little ahead of you here, Casey, sorry. But it was, if you'll look at Isaiah 53:10, it was that the Lord, it was the will of the Father to strike the Son. It was the will of God to strike the shepherd. In other words, Jesus had nothing to say except 
I got to go to the cross. And I, I, this just cannot be belabored enough. Like a lot of times, a lot of times, a lot of times we, we look at this story and we pick out a character to be angry at. You know, we pick out um, Judas. You know, like if, I'm going to tell you all, if, if Tim Bowes was playing the role of Jesus, right, I would be telling Peter, Peter, cut that dude. You don't cut somebody, cut Judas. Because snitches get stitches, bro. Light him up. Uh, I'll I tell you who I'd have been mad at the second most. I'd have been mad at all the followers who run away. Because, you know, I just can't, man, disloyalty hurts me. Right? I, I wouldn't even be mad at the Roman soldiers, honestly. People find it amazing that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But it's really just logical. It's not that he likes it, but it's like they do not know what's up. They do not know what's happening. Right? I'd have been mad at the Sanhedrin. I'd have been mad at, at uh, I'd have been mad at all the people talking garbage. I'd have been mad at the temple guard. I mean, the list is almost exhausting. I would have been mad at every, people I didn't even know. That'd have been if it was me. Like, where's all them people that was yelling last Sunday? Where y'all at now? I'd have been mad at everybody. But on the cross, on the cross, you know what Jesus said? The scripture tells us about Jesus. He says, In into thy hands I commit my spirit. See, 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 he wasn't, he wasn't committing himself to the plans of Judas. Somebody say amen. He wasn't committing himself to the plan of Pilate. He wasn't committing himself to the plan of Peter, the plan of the Sanhedrin, the plan of Caiaphas and Annas. He wasn't committing himself. Now get this one. Y'all ready? He wasn't even committing himself to his mama's plan. All the mamas in the room said, stop it. I mean, think about it. His mama would have been like, y'all bring my baby boy down off the cross now because this is not nice. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, right? This, this, this silent Savior is quiet because all the need for talk is over. It's time for him to take the wrath of the Father as he bears the sins of the world. And if you were to look at some of these words, and don't worry, I won't, I won't belabor them, but if you look at some of the words in verse 7, oppressed, afflicted, we kind of get what they mean, oppressed, you know, somebody's coming against you. They're holding you back, pushing you down. They're making it harder on you, afflicted. What's that mean? You're humiliated, humiliated. You know, uh, I'll never forget uh, seventh grade. Well, back when I was in school, you, you went to Northern. Seventh grade was the first grade you were at Northern. And uh, there was these bunch of bully boys, and I had had a run-in with them pretty quick, and, and uh and I, I just already didn't like them. You know what I mean? They were, they were ninth graders, and they were a bunch of chumps, you know, to tell you the truth. And, and we had this boy who was already kind of shy. And they, I don't know if you girls even know what this means, but all the guys, but they pantsed him in gym. They pulled his shorts down, and he didn't have on his undies. And it just wrecked him. Man, it totally wrecked him. It totally, I, I actually got a paddling in ISS because I knew I was going to get beat up, but I just sailed into him. I didn't even like the kid they'd done it to, but that wasn't right. I just felt like that was too much. You know, in middle schoolers, man, it's blood in the water every day. <laughs> it is piranhas, Jack. <laughs> and I just knew that everybody was going to give this kid a, I mean, if you was on one side, you saw everything. If you was on the other side, you saw everything. It was terrible. It's terrible, y'all. 
why guys think some things are funny, I mean, I don't know. Maybe just in the guys' locker room, probably not, but not there, right? Not in gym class with seventh grades and ninth grade and the same. Not cool, man. Not cool, right? Now, how many of you guys would like to endure that? No one. No one, right? He was afflicted. They humiliated him. They treated him with contempt on purpose. They shamed him on purpose. They belittled not just his deity, but his humanity. So when the scripture says that he was afflicted, it's a brutal picture of how they treated him. And not just that, he was led like a lamb to a slaughter. Let me tell you guys a real quick story. You can't make this stuff up. The elementary school I went to was K through 4. K through four, um, and then you had to switch to a different building. So I was in fourth grade, and we had a brand new teacher. Man, she was just drop-dead gorgeous. I asked her to marry me like seven times. Why don't you marry a fourth grader? I don't know. but She, she made this, this, this horrifying announcement first day of class, horrifying. She says, as everybody knows, this is my first year teaching, and I, I am not ever going to paddle any of you guys. I'll never forget, me and my friend Chris just looked at each other like, I mean, we were, man, we were immediately, because I grew up, y'all young kids can't imagine this, but teachers used to, they would, they would get you like this and make you stretch out your legs and womp your tail, usually with a plank, a board, in school, in front of people even, right? And when she said that, I said, oh, it's on now. This is going to be great. So she had this cool kind of punishment. She'd make you draw a circle on the board just a little higher than your nose so you had to reach up and stick your nose in it. And she'd just be up there teaching. Sometimes two boys be standing there with their nose on the board. <laughs> Offense number two, you had to draw the circle, stand, and hold your foot up, stand on one leg. Which you grabbed the cuff of your pants, and that wasn't too bad. My nose should be like this long, but I smushed it on that board that year. <laughs> Third offense, you couldn't hold your leg. You had to stand on one leg, and you know, you get tired pretty quick. Well, I'm standing there one day, and I have this startling realization. She's teaching math right beside me, right on the board. I can hear the chalk, you know, and... And I say, well, I can't stand on no feet. So what's next, you know? This is probably the second day of school, by the way. I'm, I'm, already, <laughs> at, <laughs> I'm already at break point. So she's, and I'm standing there, you know, nose in the circle. I start whistling. She doesn't even break stride, Mr. Bose. You can report to the office. Okay, well, our principal's about six you remember, we called him Streaming. You remember him, Dave? He was 6'3", six, 6'4", six, six. He was big, man. He had one of these paddles with holes in it. No wind. He would, you would leave little circles on your butt when he whipped you. It, it was awesome. You could play Twister. Like, if you had a siblings, they could play Twister on you when you got home. I had not planned for this. I didn't think she would do that. She said no paddles. I, I didn't think she, you know, I thought she would not send me to the office. Here's what I wasn't ready for. I opened the door. And the fourth grade classes were the closest ones to the office. I was like, oh, man, it's just right there. So I went out. I went out of the school. I was out on the playground, and the, and the PE teacher says, Mr. Bose, what are you doing on the playground? I said, I'm on my way to the office. He's like, you know the office is in the building. I said, oh, I know. I know it's in the building. I know exactly where it is. He kicked me in my behind. Y'all couldn't imagine school like this now, right? Carrie, you would get fired, like, also, could you get your leg up? Okay, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Trying to find my limits still. 
He kicked me in the tail, sent me to the office. And, like, uh, I'm trying to remember his real name. We called him String Bean, but I can't remember his real name. He would kick your feet apart and make sure everything back here was tight. <laughs> and, like, if you won't stand and fall enough away from the desk, he'd get you out like this. And I'm telling you, man, my man's played for the Yankees or something. <laughs> he womp your tail. I got back to the class, and, you know, I'm just a horrible rebel. I got back to the class. I can barely sit down. And, and Miss Williamson says, how are you, Mr. Bose? Now, I'm a pretty smart kid. I learned my lessons, right? What's my point in all that? Can you imagine, can you imagine when you don't know your fate being led is one thing. When you know your fate being led is a whole other thing. Taking a walk through those hallways on the way to the lunchroom, no problem. On the way to PE, no problem. On the way to course class, no problem. But walking out that door knowing I'm going to see that principal who's going to do that kind of punishment, I wanted to escape. Imagine, see this metaphor. He's being led, and they think they're just going to kill Jesus. No, he's going to be separated from the Father for the first time ever and the only time ever. What kind of walk was that? But not only did they lead him like a lamb to the slaughter, they led him like a lamb to the sharer. They did both. And, and in this case, it was wool and blood, right? They're going to kill him, but what else are they stripping off of him? When they shear Jesus, what do they strip off of him? They strip off his clothes. The situation strips off his friends. The situation strips off his honor. Y'all ready for this? This is one you didn't see coming. And the father stripped off his divine protection. And it's not just so man can strike him. It's because the father is going to strike him. So when I say he submissively did the father's will, it's a big deal. When he prayed in the garden, hey, not my, not my will, but thine be done. It was for this moment. Very quickly, number two. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, was unjustly treated and no one witnessing, no one witnessing it protested. Go back and look at verse number eight. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, now, now notice, it says as for his generation. In other words, everybody there, everybody there. And ask a question, ask for his generation, which one of them, which one of them even considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? I mean, who, in other words, who even thought, is this right and what's this all about? Is this right and what's this all about? That's the real question. Nobody protested his death. Nobody questioned the implications of his death. They just all watched it happen. Remember my story from the opening in the language confusion situation. Language was messing everything up, and we almost had a tragedy. Here, anyone could have said anything, but why didn't they? What was it all about? No one spoke for Jesus. Jesus didn't speak for Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because of these words. Jesus said, I have finished everything I set out to do. What did he say from the cross? Did he say, I am finished? What did he say, church? 
See, human justice would have been great right here. Somebody went, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. This ain't right, y'all. If y'all want to kill somebody, I got this second cousin that's always stealing chickens. Let's go get that guy. If y'all want to kill somebody, what about all these knuckleheads sitting on death row? Let's just go line a few of them up and kill them. This guy hadn't done anything. Pilate says, I, I don't see it. But God had to push Pilate to it. That's a true story. Even, even the, the two thieves, both of them were deriding Jesus. And, and later on, one of them derides his mate. He says, hey, hey, why are you talking like that? We deserve to be here. This guy's done nothing. Too late then, he's crucified, right? Go back and look at the passage. Jesus was silent, and they were silent. And the silence isn't even the worst part. The silence is who, who was saying, what's this all about? What's this all about? Uh, parents of small children. All right, parents of small children. I'll define small children as anyone still asking more questions than the amount of taxes they're paying. Okay, y'all got any of those over here? Brett, you got any of those? All right, so imagine you're back. <laughs> Somebody's pointing fingers. Imagine you're back in Egypt and you're a Hebrew person and you're slave and God has said he's going to set you free and tells you these really weird things to do to prepare. I want you to go get a hyssop. I want you to, I want you to kill an kill a, kill a offering. I want, you to, I want you to roast it up a particular way. I want you to pack your bags. I want you to make some freaky bread. I want, you to take a, I want you to take some of that blood, and I want you to go paint three sides of your door. What do you think small kids would have been doing? Every step of the way. I'm telling you, I'm telling y'all, they didn't even have duct tape back in them days. What would you have done? See, this is the greatest tragedy. This is the greatest tragedy. Everybody's watching this go down, and, 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 and Peter, you know, I love Peter. He's angry, he's resistant, then he's afraid, and he's running away. John comes up close, but doesn't say anything. So Why? Because he had to be smitten. He had to be stricken. He had to be slaughtered. Why, guys? Why? In the realm of every sort of person protesting every sort of thing, did no one protest Christ because the Father's will was to strike him as a gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul sums up the gospel with these simple words. Christ died for us according to the scriptures. This is exactly the way God laid the plan out. And not only is it, he's the singular figure in history who was qualified to undertake this role. I'll never forget, I can't even remember whose kid we were babysitting, but me and Kara were babysitting somebody's kid, and they had the most awful, terrible, biggest blowout in the world. You know what I'm saying? It looked like an airbag blew out in their britches. It was just a wreck. And uh, Kara was in the other room, and she coming out, and I'm just staring at the kids. She said, what are you doing? I said, waiting for you. <laughs> Your boy is done. I'm not, I, I could not, I mean, we were, mm-mm. <laughs> there was no way to deal with that and come away unscathed. 
The only way I was going to clean that child up is if care left me that night. We're still together, right? Because <laughs> it won't happen. You got to think about this. There was no one else qualified. There was no one else coming. This is a singular role of Jesus of Nazareth. He's born of a virgin. He's lived a perfect life. He's dying of sacrificial death. No one meets those qualifications. No one meets those prophecies. It's just Jesus. And the biggest crime is why didn't his generation say, what's this all about? Thirdly, lastly, and quickly, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, died on the cross, was counted as wicked by the world, yet buried in a rich man's grave. This is a, this is a very interesting little part of the story. Look back at verse number 9. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. See, Maybe I could say it this sort of simple, this sort of simple. They thought what he did was an ugly thing, but God in, in God's divine humor and sweetness honors him as a good man, gives him a rich man's grave. So everybody else was getting this wrong. Jesus was being stricken by the Father's will, and he's honored in his burial. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? And so... This is, this is something Isaiah is saying, y'all are going to know this about the Messiah a long time after it's happened. Get that. You're going to know this about the Messiah a long time as it's ha- after it's happened, but I'm preaching about it a long time before he's even born. So, so it's a chance. It's a chance for anyone to look back at the historically factual account of Jesus and say, is he that one? 750 years beforehand. Somebody was saying, you're going to be able to look back and say, we can figure out exactly who this was. That's wild, right? So now, if you could go into the future, oh, wait, you are there. And you could read this passage from the past past and determine if it was accurate about the past Is it accurate about the past? Does Jesus match all these descriptors? Yes. So Jesus of Nazareth, then, we can say is the? Somebody say it. Jake, say it out loud. You said it with your mouth. Say it out loud. He's the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth matches the criteria, so we can say he must be the Christ of God. What? All of a sudden, nobody's telling you to have some blind, uninformed, emotional uh, faith. We're saying there is facts, there is evidence. Now, will we be, will we be like those Jews who say, no, nah, he can't be the one? He must be the one. He's the only righteous man that has ever lived. Everybody loves the story in John chapter 8 of uh, the woman who was caught in her sin. And the crowd brings them to Jesus and says, listen, we just caught this lady. I don't know why they didn't bring the dude too. Anybody ever, you know, I'm joining the Me Too movement today. You should have brought both of them, right? And, 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 you know, he doesn't say you don't have a right by the law to stone her. He just says, listen, listen, if anybody here, if anybody here has never committed a sin, y'all go ahead and throw the first rock and then we'll join in. Everybody, one by one, drops their stones and walks away. Now, Jesus says something really cool and interesting. He says, neither do I condemn you. He could throw the rock. 
But he says, I don't, I choose not to. Look at that. Somebody who deserves it, he doesn't. He's someone who doesn't deserve it, yet the Father does it. And we're not asked to have blind faith. This singular figure in history has died. Who has he died for? He's died for repentant sinners. How do I know that? Because anyone who believes in their heart and confesses from their mouth that Jesus is Lord, anyone who believes on that name and all his work, and anyone who, who, can, who claims him as Lord, who says, I believe it, and you're my boss. You're my, like we, you were leading us to sing, Andrew, I lost you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's big to say you are my king. Like, you can say it all you want, but are you saying it, right? The Bible says if you'll say, I believe his work was real, and I give him permission to be the Lord of my life, the Bible says you'll be adopted into the family of God. I find that amazing. Let me close with two quick things. I'm going to read through a couple passages. Don't worry, I'm, I ain't going to preach on them. Look at this passage here. 1 Peter chapter 2. Brett, stop laughing. All right, now I want you guys to see Christian. Everybody just say it with me. Christian, say it. Christian. This word is to you. You ready? This word is to you. Now say it. This word is to you. I say this word is to me. You say this word is to Y'all, you know, some of y'all still ain't convinced. It ain't just to your neighbor. Who's it to? Christian, this word is to? For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Big deal. You had it coming to you. That's what he's saying. But if when you do good and suffer for, for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? So that you might do what? Next verse. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Not to Judas, not to Caiaphas, not to Annas, not to Pilate. He entrusted himself to God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Who feels like singing now? That we might die to sin and live to. I knew it was coming. By his wounds you've been what? For you were straying like sheep and now have returned. Anybody? I know it's off the screen. Anybody know where you returned to? To the shepherd and overseer of your soul. All right, so he died as a substitute, right? And you can't know God without it. But Christian, this is to, he's also telling you, you come into the family, expect some of the same treatment, follow that example. Last but not least, I want you guys to see exactly where this is going. Where is this ultimately going? Revelation, yeah, yeah absolutely. To the, I mean, you're dead right, actually. But, but look, at where, look, at, look at where this suffering is going to carry Jesus. This is Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Also, there's, there's some sort of scary plans in the mix that we're going to preach through Revelation here. And, and um, we're trembling. I mean, literally, we're trembling. Listen to this. 
Revelation 5, 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has, he's conquered. So that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing. And among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain. <clears throat> with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open his seals, for you are slain. <clears throat> and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe language and peoples and nations. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they're going to reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Where is this all going? He's not slain so that preachers have funny stories to tell. He's slain because he's the only one worthy and he wanted to ransom people and share his inheritance and share his rule. And Isaiah was preaching of it before he came in the flesh, but he was preaching about it after he went. Back to heaven. This week I did a funeral. It's a pretty tough funeral. Not for somebody in our congregation. I would like to think y'all would have known about that. And I got down to the place where they were burying me in Rafe in North Carolina. And I looked at the vault and it looked to me, and I looked at the sun. I know this sounds crazy. I looked at the, I said, I don't think this vault is right. I told the guys digging it. And I, they said in a very polite way, like, this is what we do, you know? I'm like, yeah, but this is what I do, right? We bury them with their feet to the east. So when Jesus splits the eastern sky, they'll rise. And God says, this is what we do for a living. I says, man, this is what I do for a living. And they weren't going to turn it around. And so the funeral director got there. I said, this man loved the Lord Jesus. He has the expectation of the resurrection. And I'm not saying I'm not going to do the funeral. I'm just asking you to turn the casket around. Because it's not mere words to me. <clears throat> and it's <clears throat> as awkward as it was, they stopped everything.
Israel's going to look back and see the slain lamb. And John the Revelator is already see, saying we're going to see him standing and reigning because he is the only one worthy. I'm asking you today, what will you render to the Lord for all his benefits to you? Christian, if you know him, if you know him, he's given us a life to live. And it's going to include suffering, but he's also given us an example to follow. If you don't know him today, I'm telling you, I'm not asking you to believe with your emotions or believe because of mine. I just can't handle this passage today. I'm asking you to believe because the evidence is so clear. You know, if I told you guys who was going to win a baseball game tonight and it happened exactly like I said it would, you would be wanting to ask me about betting tomorrow. This happened like God said it was going to happen. Believe today. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for this beautiful word. We're in, you have delivered to us a salvation that is rock solid. Give us the vision to see it and to live in grateful light of it. Now, God, as we sing together, help us to respond with raucous gratitude. If there be any soul who is yet outside of your covenant grace, call them so close to yourself. Give them such a sight of Jesus that they see to believe on him just makes sense. All the other leaders of every religion in the world are still in their grave, but our slain lamb is reigning. He's alive. Thank you, Father. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.